Well, good morning. Go ahead, if you will, grab a seat and grab your Bible and join me in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Gospel of Mark chapter 4. We'll dive into that text here in just a moment. As a church, our mission is not simply to receive the good news and to celebrate it and hold it in, but to be those who give it to others, which is why we often will tell you that our mission as a church is to reach the next person for Jesus, because God loves every person who has ever lived. If you were the only person who is in need of saving, I would need you to know, friend, that God would have come and died for you. And the good news is he did not stay in the tomb, but he rose, and so now we celebrate him and wish to share that good news with everyone else. Now, this is something we talk about often as a church. We exist to reach the next person, and then over the past few months, we've talked a little bit about what does that look like. And your leaders, the elders and leadership team of this church have been prayerfully leading towards and desiring that over the next 20 years, we would be able to reach 10% of our city, 10%. Now, uh, put that next slide up there, Phil. The reason 10% is significant, some of you have asked, why 10%? And here's the answer. Experts tell us that if you take 10% of any group, and if this 10% is fully committed to a particular cause or direction, they have an outsized influence and can change the attitude, the actions, and direction of the rest of the group. The 90% are influenced by the 10. And so we wish to reach 10%, and by God's grace and through their help, we may have the opportunity to reach our entire city because we believe that Jesus loves every person in Chattanooga. Not just those who go to church on Sunday. Amen? And so, question that has come up, and we want to tell you this morning, how are we going to do this? A week ago on Saturday, we met in here with about 100 of our leaders, small group leaders, Bible class teachers, um, special servants, and others, and we began to talk through some of this. And here was how we're going to work towards this. Very simply... Over the next 20 years, our goal or our strategy for reaching 10%, roughly 20,000 people in Chattanooga, whoa, is to have 500,000 gospel conversations. Let me say it again. Our strategy for reaching 10% as a church over the next 20 years is to have 500,000 gospel conversations with our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co- and co-workers. Now, I know you say, what in the world? That is a ton. It's not as many as you may think, actually. We have about 1,000 members at Clear Creek. Now, that does not include the roughly 400 people who will be in and out over the course of a year who have yet to say they want to be a part of the body here at Clear Creek, but 1,000. And so the leadership says, man, let's, let's prayerfully ask. Let's let's." beseech God, what if every person, every member of this church simply said, I'll have two gospel conversations every month. That'll hit 500,000 in 20 years. And so I want to tell you about something exciting we're going to be doing in two weeks for two Sundays in room A5 and A7. Right over here, we're going to have a very hands-on, very focused two-part gospel conversations training where we will talk to you about how can you have a not weird gospel conversation with friends. How many of us know sometimes the thing that keeps people from Christ is not what you say, but that it's just weird. We're going to help you figure out the not weird way to do it. We're going to talk about what are the ways to start the conversation. How do you 
sort of identify how to enter the conversation and then share your story. When is it appropriate? We'll talk about all that. It is first come, first serve. Space is very limited. But we want to invite you to come be a part of that starting on September 10th and concluding on September 17th. It'll be at the 1015 Bible class hour. Because our vision to reach 10% in 20 years, and we'll do that by having 500,000 gospel conversations over the next 20 years. Uh, just real quick, um, so what is your favorite form of caffeine? Who in here said coffee? Oh, wow, man, we got a bunch of addicts. This is great. Okay, a 12-step program for each of us. Okay, what about, um, someone said tea. Did anyone say tea in here for caffeine? You're like, there's not enough caffeine in tea. What about soda? Anyone? By the way, do we say soda or do we say Coke or pop? <laughs> yeah, that'll start a church fight right there. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see you this morning. However you are caffeinated, welcome to Clear Creek. I'm Josh, one of the ministers. Welcome as we are in part three of a teaching series called How Disciples Are Made. We just want to tell you this is a safe place to explore faith, know Jesus, find community, and fulfill the Great Commission. And so we just want to invite you to take your next step wherever you are today. You know, it's interesting. Jesus talked a whole lot about agriculture and farming. He's like, really, that's how we're going to start? Yeah, it's interesting. When you look at like what Jesus says, he has a whole lot to say about farming and planting and agriculture. And so he tells a lot of stories about it. For instance, he says, if you go out to plow a field... Like, don't take your hands off the plow. Don't look around because if you've ever plowed, which I haven't, but I'm told if you were to plow and you were to look around or to let go, what ends up happening is the plow begins to plow crooked. So when you plow, pay attention to where you're going. He talks about the story of the mustard seed, another one about the mustard plant, another one about the wheat and the tares, and on and on and on. Jesus has a lot of stories and a lot of sayings about agriculture and farming. And here's why I think, at least in part, why he does. I think farming tells us a whole lot about what it takes to live in this world as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've ever been in charge of a garden or a farm, you know it takes consistency, tenacity, determined behavior because things don't happen overnight. I wish they did. I wish life was more like a microwave and not like a crock pot. But it really is more like a crock pot or it's like a farm. And so Jesus begins to tell these stories. So for instance, you know, have you ever thought about how grass has this amazing ability to like punch through concrete? Have you seen this? Some of you have seen this. You've gone out to your driveway. You'll be walking along and all of a sudden right there in the middle of your driveway, a sprig of grass. You're like, how did that get there? I don't remember planting seed in the middle of my driveway. What happened is there's a seed that was there before they planted or put the concrete on top. And so it has taken time, maybe weeks, months, or years, and its roots have gone down deep until it was strong enough. And it began to force a little sprout up. And it found a microscopic crack in your asphalt. And it goes right up, right up, right up until it finally bursts forth. And you and I both know the devastation that grass can cause on an asphalt driveway or on concrete roads. And I think it tells us something about the gospel, that the gospel has incredible power to penetrate the human heart if we will simply give it time and give it half a chance. 
Or how about this one? You've been out west maybe and you've seen those beautiful mountains and on the side of that rocky face, you'll see this one lone tree just hanging on for dear life. You're like, how did it do that? Where did that guy come from? It found a place and the seed went deep and the roots went strong into it. So now it holds on in a place that seems like it could not sustain life. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful and given enough time and given half a chance, it will thrive in the life of another person. This is what Jesus wants us to know. And this is what he shares with us in this beautiful story in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God this morning. Beginning in verse 3, these are the words of Jesus. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parable. Now jump down to verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some A hundred times what was sown. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Let's pray together. Do what you must, O Lord, so that we're all good soil, reproducing a hundred times more than you have invested in us. We pray this in your name, dear Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus, doing what Jesus does best, he's telling stories to help people understand who God is, what this kingdom life is like, and what he has come to do. And he tells this weird story about some seed, a sower, and four soils, and his followers are just like, what's going on? Now, you need to understand, we're told that there are two groups that are with Jesus. There are the disciples. Those are those who are committed to Jesus. And then followers. These are the people who are just curious, kind of listening in. And so after Jesus tells the story, his disciples, those who are committed, come up to him and say, Huh? What? What are you talking about, Jesus? What is this with seeds and soil and sowers and all this stuff? We don't get it. What's the purpose? What's the meaning? 
What does it have to do with us? And I love Jesus' response in verse 13. Did you see this? He says, how will you understand any parable if you don't understand this parable? In other words, this parable, friends, I need you to hear this. Of all the parables Jesus shared, this is the only one where he says this parable unlocks all the others. If you understand this story, you understand Jesus' mission, you understand the purpose of the church, you understand what life in the kingdom can be like. So as followers, I'm going to ask that we lean in deeply and listen to the words of our rabbi Jesus, because in this story, he is showing us how disciples are made. And so he begins to break it down for them. So let's just kind of walk through this. Here's what it means. First, you have a seed. This seed, by the way, we're going to have some drawings on the board. Yes, I did them. Yes, they are cruddy. Just bear with me, okay? I'll explain them in case you don't understand what you're looking at here. But these little weird football-shaped things are the seed, okay? And he says the seed is the gospel. It's the good news that God, through Jesus Christ, has come to save us from our sins. And by the way, isn't Jesus cool that even now, before his death, burial, and resurrection, he is already hinting at what he will do? The seed is the perfect metaphor for the gospel, isn't it? How does a seed produce fruit? The seed goes into the ground, it dies to itself, and from that death produces life that when fully grown gives life to other people. What is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus Christ went to the cross, took all of our sins. He died. He went into the ground. And when all hope seemed lost, he came forth on the third day, bringing life for anyone who will trust in his name. This is the picture of what God is doing right now in you, through you, and around you. The seed represents the gospel. Second, he says there was a sower, a farmer, and it's not a very impressive farmer. He needs to eat a little bit more, I think. But the farmer goes out, and he simply sows the seed. And one of the things that's so interesting about this farmer is this farmer has absolutely terrible aim. Do you notice this? He's like, I'm going to throw some over here on the road, some over here on the rock pile, some over here in the weeds. Who knows? Maybe it'll grow. And we all say, why in the world would the farmer sow seed where there is no chance that it will grow? Here's why. Because with the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is never no chance. If we simply give the gospel a chance, if we simply say... Try, taste and see that the Lord is good. Who knows but what God may do in the heart of another person. And so the sower goes out, sowing the seed everywhere he or wherever she goes. And it lands, we're told, on four different types of soil. We'll walk through these very quickly. The first one is on the road. And we're told that the birds of the air, next slide, the birds of the air come and they take the soil. Now the problem is, it's not necessarily the birds so much as the ground itself. Because it is the ground, it's the road where people and animals and vehicles have been going, carts and other have been moving. It is packed down hard. Jesus says that the road symbolizes and represents the hard-packed heart that says, I've already got it all figured out. I'm closed off to being open to additional knowledge. I'm closed off from asking questions. I no longer have room for doubting my assumptions. I am not interested in learning more. I have my arms crossed because I already have it figured out. 
And Jesus says, for the people who are closed off to God, who are hard to him, the devil will come and take away the good news from them, leaving them without that good news. He then says there's a second soil, though. The second soil lands on the rocks. And this soil, this little rocky stubble, and by the way, there's different ways of understanding this. Some people will say, well, it's a rock pile that he's referring to. Others will say, no, it's actually the ground. And you know what it's like here in Middle Tennessee. There will be some parts where you will begin to put seed down, and you think you have good soil, but you realize the soil only goes about yay deep, right? And underneath it, you've got junk. Maybe it's rocks, maybe it's clay, maybe it's something else, but you've got stuff that will not permit the roots to go down deep. And Jesus says, this is what this person's like. They receive the word of God with joy, like, yay, God, this is awesome. But their roots do not go deep. They say yes to Jesus. They make a confession. They put him on in baptism. But because they do not disciple under Jesus Christ, they have no roots for when life is hard. And friends, if you haven't lived more than a couple days, let me clue you in. Life is hard sometimes. Can I get an amen from anyone who knows that life can be hard sometimes? And so what happens is because there's no roots... When the heat of life hits, we shrivel, we wither, and die. See, friends, this is why. As you come to faith in Jesus Christ, yes, we are born again, but we must learn again so we can grow again. It is an ongoing process. And here's especially why I think this is dangerous for those of us in the churches of Christ. Many of you came to faith. You had a profession. You were baptized into Jesus. But no one came alongside you and said, let me disciple you. Let me show you what it means to study your Bible. Let me help you to learn for yourself what God's Word says. Let me help you understand it and apply it. We've not had people who are spiritual moms and dads, big brothers and big sisters, who come alongside us and lovingly correct us when we chose to be rebellious. And what ends up happening is because we do not have the roots, when life gets hard, we fall away. You ask the question, well, why did so-and-so not stick it out? Why did so-and-so? It comes down, according to Jesus, that roots were not there. He says there's a third soil. You've got the hard soil. You've got the rocky soil. But then you've got the soil that is surrounded by weeds, by thorns. He says this, too, is a person who goes, yay, God, I love what you're showing me. This is so cool. I want to follow Jesus. And by the way, by the way, this is the person who really loves Jesus who really, really wants to do what is right, who really is invested, says, yes, this is it. But I love Jesus. Things are good. Yet God is good. But I'm really busy. I've got meetings at 7 a.m. I've got meetings at 7 p.m. I've got to get this kid to the recital. I've got to get that kid to the ball field. I've got to get to this place and that place. I've got to work hard before retirement. Have you seen our 401k? It is now like a 101k. It's no good. So we are worried about life. We are busy with other things. We say, well, you know what? I love Jesus. I will follow Jesus. But right now, right now, I'm at a point in my career that if I'm going to go to the next level, a next position, this is my shot. I will follow Jesus wholly later. But later never comes. And Jesus says what ends up happening is we fall away, that the worries of life, the other focuses of life, choke out the effect of the gospel in our own lives. But then he gives good news, good news. Who wants good news? Say yes. Yes. 
He says, but there is a fourth soil, a good soil. And this soil, oh, it's, it's open. It's ready. It says, ah, I'm, I, I, give me what you got. And finally, the seed goes into the soil and it produces not just a couple, but 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown in it. Now, let me give us a few things to think about from this text. Two observations. Observation number one, if we look at this text, is number one, power is in the seed, not in the sower. Did you notice that, friend? The power is not in the ability of the sower. The power is in the seed. In fact, if you look at the text, Jesus tells us nothing about the qualifications of this farmer. Did you notice? Not a thing about him. He doesn't say, well, this farmer has been farming for 20 years. Never says that, well, she was raised in a farming family. Never says that he went to farmer's school. Never says anything about their ability or their intellect or their connections. It says nothing about the sower. Jesus focuses on the seed. Church, do we focus more on our ability or on the ability of the gospel to change the human heart? Jesus wants you and I to know the pressure is not on us. He is laying the pressure firmly on the good news that he has the power to change the human heart. Now, interestingly enough, he says this farmer goes out and he produces a crop by sowing the seed 30, 60, or even 100 times. Now, if you or I, if we were farmers in that day and we're sitting next to Jesus and he pulls out that ridiculous number, 100 time return, we'd laugh at him. You sitting there with those calloused hands after working all day, every day, just trying to scrape by enough to have bread on the table for your family for one more day. And Jesus comes up with this idea. He says, look, there's a farmer and his seed is so powerful that it will produce 30, 60, 100 times. You go, come on, Jesus. That is impossible. There is no way there's a seed powerful enough to produce 100 times itself. It would take a miracle. And Jesus says, exactly. The gospel is more powerful, friend, than most of us can imagine or most of us believe. Do you understand that the gospel is the reason that North Korea will not allow Bibles into the country. In fact, there was a story that came out about a year ago of a two-year-old child who was sentenced to life in prison in North Korea for the sin of his father having a Bible. Why? Because the country and the leadership knows that when the gospel is planted, it has the ability to crack through evil regimes and evil ideologies. The gospel is more powerful than anything else in creation. So the only option is just don't let it come near. The gospel has the ability to change families and histories. I wonder, are you familiar with a woman named Susanna Wesley? She's a woman from history who, because of her love for Jesus, not because of a platform, she wasn't in ministry. She wasn't well-known necessarily by virtue of her intelligence or her beauty. But she cared for the children under her care, and as a result, over the past 300 years, there have been multiple presidents, judges, senators, pastors, elders, preachers, 
who have come from her lineage of faith, people who love Jesus, who know Jesus, are sharing Jesus at a broader level because she simply said there is power in the gospel. And she had children, so many of them. Do you know she had 10 kids? Good night. She would take one night per week for a couple of the kids. So Monday night was with this child and this child. And she would sit down with them and say, this is the gospel of Jesus. This is what it means. This is who he is. This is how much he loves you. And each night she invested just a little bit, a little bit of seed into the soil, a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper, so that over time generations have passed and she has, by the seed given to her and spread through her, generations, thousands and thousands of people have come to know Jesus Christ. The gospel is more powerful than you or I can imagine. And I guess I just got to confess to you, there are days that your preacher does not believe the gospel is that powerful. Because there are Sundays that I put all the weight on my shoulders to say things in a clever way or in a smart way. Or maybe if I do it this way, or maybe at this right moment, maybe if I could just summon a tear to come down. Maybe the emotion of the moment. Friend, I have no ability to save a human soul But the plain word of God, the good news that God saves sinners, has been saving souls for centuries and will for centuries more. Do you believe the gospel is powerful? And here's the good news. If the power is in the seed, not the sower, that takes a lot of pressure off of us sowers, doesn't it? Observation number two, write this down. The power is in the seed, not the sower, and the farmer sows wherever he goes. The farmer sows wherever he goes. The farmer sows wherever she goes. Why? Because the farmer knows the powers in the seed, not in their ability. And the farmer also knows not everyone will receive the gospel. Did you notice Jesus' ratio there? (laughs) One in four will receive the gospel and it'll be amazing. Thanks, Jesus. That's really depressing. You mean 75% are not going to receive the gospel this way? I suspect Jesus says, hey, look, this is just a picture. Don't take the numbers too literal, but what I want you to get is not everyone will receive with joy the good news that God saves sinners. So it means you need to have a whole lot of gospel conversations. That seed needs to be sown all over the place in all sorts of areas because not everyone will receive it. In fact, have you considered how badly the aim is of the sower? I mean, come on, this guy is terrible at his job. He comes out there, and he's the Oprah of sowing seed. You get a seed, and you get a seed, and you get a seed. He's throwing seed everywhere on the rock piles, on the roads, on the thorn bushes, with the hope that someone somewhere may receive that the seed would go deep into the soil. It's often been asked, why does Jesus tell a story of a sower who's bad at his job, sowing in places he knows the seed won't grow? The answer is because you and I, like the farmer, don't know the condition of the soil of the human heart you're talking to. So what do you do? Sow the seed wherever you go. I don't know. In fact, I've been in ministry almost 20 years, and I've been shocked How often I get it wrong. This person, oh, they will receive the gospel. They're the kind of person who will receive it. And then nothing. It's like crickets. And then this person is like, ah, what? They're not going to receive the gospel. I mean, look at them. 
God help me, the number of times that I have judged a person's heart not knowing what's under the surface. And yet when the gospel goes forth, sometimes those who are the least likely become the most fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. That we would be people who just sow wherever we go, not taking responsibility on the fruit, but responsibility on sowing the seed. And so I was thinking about this week, I saw a video, I thought, man, this captures the heart of what we're talking about today. So I just want to show you this one video, and it's a guy in New York City. Here's the setup. There's a guy in New York City, and he is handing out, for free, mind you, small two-ounce pieces of gold. Watch this video. I'm going to load up this tracks pack. Each one of these ounces is two grand. Let's see if somebody wants them for free. Sir, you are smart. Just bam, an ounce of gold. Come on, take it. Come on, you got it. Sir, this is, you really need one of these, bro. Sir. Well, that's too bad for him. Ma'am? Please. I'm begging you. Some do, some don't. Is this for you, a track pack? You sure? Oh, she's in a rush. What is this? What do you think it is, bro? No, no, wow, no. You're bro. on your own from here. Oh, man. Yeah. Stop, bro. Thank you, guys. You know, you Have did it. Well, you did the right. You made the right My way. wife is going to be happy when she knows this, brother. Thank you. Yes, sir. My wife is going to be happy. That's a smart husband right there. Do you notice this, though? He had rock-solid confidence. Was it because he knew he was a great salesman? Was it because he knew that everyone who walked by would absolutely love what he was offering? No. Why does he have confidence enough to share with everyone? It's because he knows the value of what he is offering. He knows its value. It's like, you've got to have this. It's so good. You've got to have some of this. And if you'll just take it, it'll change your life. Here, have some. Did you hear what he even said? Please, I'm begging you. She's too busy. Some do, some don't. Did you notice he didn't freak out or worry or wonder what it said about himself? You don't see him over there in the corner going, why do they hate me so much? Why don't they receive it? Because he knows that anyone who does not receive what he is offering, it says more about the person than it says about him or what he is offering. Friend, when you know what you have to share, you will be the person who just says, have some, have some. You don't want it? Okay. You want some? Have it, have it. Here is the gospel. I was a sinner condemned to death, going to hell, but for the grace of God, Jesus came. He saved me from my sin. He's invited me into to, to new life. He has given me the deposit of eternity, the Holy Spirit in my life. I now have hope for today, promise for tomorrow. Don't you want it? This is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 says these famous, famous words, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. How is the gospel shared? How are disciples made? We sow and Jesus saves. We sow and Jesus saves. The way the gospel brings life, the way that disciples are made is when one disciple says, here's what I have. May God bless you as you receive it. 
And then God does the work. Do you notice there's no power in the sower and there's no power in the soil either? Did you notice the good soil is just as dead as the road without the seed? It is all about the work of Jesus Christ that saves a human life. So how are disciples made? Put this up. We sow, but Jesus saves. So let me end with this question this morning as we go into a moment of prayer. First, have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking, have you heard the gospel of Jesus? I'm not asking, do you come to church? I'm asking you, brother. I'm asking you, sister. Have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that your sin is that bad, but that God saves? Have you said yes to him, not simply to save you, but have you said yes, you are now my Lord, my boss? Have you received the gospel of Jesus? If you have not, friend, I... I love you too much to lie. If you do not have the seed of the gospel, you are not saved. But he's offering it to you. And in this room, Jesus says there are some whose soil is ready. Just receive the gospel. And then the second question is simply this. If you've received the gospel, do you have confidence that it can change a life? Who's that person coming to mind right now who needs to know Jesus? Is it a family member? Maybe it's just under your own roof. Someone who maybe even once professed faith but has wandered away or has become cold to the truth of Jesus Christ. Does someone that you know need to know the gospel? Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's that kid you sit next to in cafeteria after you've got that cold square piece of pizza flopped on your plate and you know they need to know Jesus. Who's the person that's coming to mind? Do you have the confidence enough in the gospel to simply say, can I tell you about Jesus? And if you don't know how to share your faith, we are going to teach you in two weeks in the gospel conversations class right here, A7, A9, at 10, 15 a.m. It'll be first come, first serve. Seating is limited, but we will teach you how to do this. But do you have the gospel and do you have confidence in the gospel? Because it is through the power of the good news of Jesus Christ that God continues to save. Let's pray together. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you simply talk to God for just a moment and tell him what's on your heart? And now, Father, we ask that you work in our lives. So that there is no area, no relationship or thought, no longing or desire that is not good soil for your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we would confidently share the good news with those around us so that others may taste and see that you are good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.